very much. I've never petitioned the government for anything, never tried to start a grassroots movement of any kind, but I'm considering it this morning because of this whole spring forward thing. There's something's got to change. I don't know. I don't know what would happen if we always just fell back. What would the, I don't know if the earth would, would somehow stop spinning exactly right or if the sun would come up at three in the afternoon. I don't really know, but something's got to change. Good grief. I, if you're like me, this it just wears you out this morning. Just happy to be here. I made it. And I guarantee there'll be some folks that pulling apart in my 11 o'clock everybody's walking out and hit them. You know, and, oh, well, just go to lunch, I guess, you know, but, but anyway, some of you showed up for Sunday school this morning, and we'd already gotten started in here, so um, anyway, I'm going to petition the government, because that's, uh, something's wrong with that. Anyway, you look around our world, and you realize, in all seriousness, that there's a lot wrong with our world. Uh, there's, there's a lot that's messed up. We know things are, are messed up. We uh, Now, I don't look around this morning in the auditorium and say, yeah, I can tell you what's messed up. Elbow the person next to you. Some of you have been waiting to say that to somebody for a long time. Preacher said, I, the world's messed up. I can finally tell you. No, it's not what I'm going for. Uh, I, I got online this morning and looked at a few news stories from just over the weekend. And those of you that are news watchers or readers, this kind of stuff is not surprising to you. An Arnold, Maryland woman has been indicted for the death of her newborn son. First degree child abuse, reckless endangerment, manslaughter, second degree murder. Could be reached for comment. Her attorney didn't return a call. Just a bizarre story. New York City police say a woman was beaten after rejecting the advances of a male suitor, so to speak. Occurred in a bar. She was hospitalized with a broken eye socket and other injuries. But her abuse is suspected. She rejected his advances and apparently paid the price for that. There was one dead, two injured in a South Carolina apartment shooting. One person is dead. It says two others wounded following a shooting in the unusual, in the usually quiet community near a South Carolina coastal city. Our world is messed up. Those are three stories. I could have read a hundred. You watch the news. You see things. You hear news reports. You realize something's wrong. Something has gone terribly wrong from what really things are supposed to be. We look around and we say, it's just, it's not supposed to be this way. Read those stories and you just think, are you kidding? I'm almost not surprised anymore. I'm almost now surprised when we hear a bit of of good news that somebody did the right thing. You with me on that? We just hear these stories all the time. And when, when, when relationships get worked out, I'm almost surprised. It's amazing. Things are not really the way they're supposed to be. You think, why? Why all the pain? Why the illness? Why the death? Many of you this week touched and and impacted by the death of a loved one. Why? Why why all of those things? Why the turmoil in our world? Why the violence? Why the crime? Relationship trouble? Just the ungodly behavior? Why do we experience distance between us and God and us and other people. What's the deal with all that stuff? What caused all of it? We're looking at a chapter in this particular series we're doing that I believe is the key to understanding all of the reasons why our world is messed up. We can understand Genesis chapter 3. We can understand that particular chapter and what happened in that account. And I really believe we can understand why things are not the way they're supposed to be. What went wrong 
steps of what will eventually make things right and what we can do in the meantime to help make things a little bit different. Genesis 3 is the key to understanding why our world went wrong and why things are messed up. Why we often feel distant from God, why our relationships with others are sometimes strained. And in that chapter, what I hope to discover today is the secret to closeness with God and closeness with other people. But I'll tell you this, this is a truth today that our enemy, Satan, does not want us to hear. Doesn't want us to understand it, doesn't want us to get it today. It's very, very simple But there are a few people who will believe the principle we'll look at today and will put it into practice. Very few people. I don't say that because they're awful rotten people. We just think, well, it can't be as simple as that. And yet it really is. And so today we're going to battle both fatigue from the whole ridiculously absurd spring forward thing. We come with pain and hurt, and so we're distracted emotionally. We come with things on our mind from this past week. We're thinking about what's going to happen today after we leave here and tomorrow, what we've got to do the rest of this week may be busy for you. So we're thinking about a lot of things, and yet I realize that if we don't get this principle down today, then we're we're, we're, we're likely to walk away and still feel some distance between us and God, feel some strain in our relationships. And so for just a minute, I'd like for you, if you would, whether you're a person who prays or not, I'd like for you just to close your eyes for just a minute and and with me, just release some of those things that you came here with this morning, those hurts, those frustrations, the busyness, what you have later on this week, what's going on today at lunch and after that, and, and just for just maybe a minute, ask the Lord, you know what, God, I really want to get it today. I don't want to be distant from you today. I want to be close. And Lord, I know that I want my relationships to be the way they're supposed to be. So maybe for just a minute, you just pray and ask the Lord to speak to your heart today. Give you the opportunity just to lay down some of that junk that you're carrying and help you focus in on what he had you here this morning. Jesus, today many of us come with a variety of emotions and distractions, some of us with heavy hearts, with a lot of pain, some of us with just busyness, and we're we're maybe fatigued or stressed or dealing with problems. Some of us come today, Lord, feeling very close to you, others feeling very distant. Some of us today come with relationships that are strained and needing repair, where all of us come today in need of a word from you. All of us come today needing to connect with our Creator and our Savior. So, Lord, we pray that we would be, for just a minute, undistracted, focused solely on what you have to say, and, Lord, receptive to your truth. Lord, help us to understand and to apply this simple, simple truth that we'll learn today. Lord, thank you that you are always present, the Bible says, in times of trouble, that you are the friend that will never leave us, never forsake us, the one that sticks closer and even our own flesh and blood, even a brother, the Bible says. So, Lord, be with us today in a very real way. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would touch our hearts, change our minds, and forever make us different. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
like for you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. If you're not familiar with the Bible, you don't have very far to go to find Genesis. Open the front cover, turn to the right just a little bit, you'll see Genesis is the first book of the Bible. The word Genesis actually means beginnings, and so it's in this book that we see a lot of the beginnings of what we now experience, the beginning of the world, the beginning of humankind, the beginning of sin, the beginning of of our interaction with God, and so on. And so I want you to look at Genesis chapter 3. We're in a series we're calling A Crimson Stain. If you know the old song, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Sin is that crimson stain that seemingly won't go away on our lives. And so we're looking at what sin is, what it does, and what it requires. Last week we saw what sin is. And sin, very simply put, in one sentence, sin is rebellion. It's rebellion against God, against any of His moral law, whether we mean to or not, whether it's in thought, action, speech, whatever it may be. It's going against what God has said. Here's my standard. Here's what I want you to do. It's rebellion against God. Now, that's pretty strong terminology, but we have to understand it for what it is. We can't just say, well, I messed up. It's just a mistake. Sin is a huge, huge deal to God. It's the reason that Jesus went to the cross. So it's not just some simple little innocent mistake. Sin is rebellion against God. And we looked at last week that the remedy for that is surrender. To put down your self-will, so to speak, and come out with your hands up. God, I surrender. I understand that I have sinned, and I surrender to you. In response to the grace of Jesus Christ on the cross, that is our response, surrender. So last week, sin, what what is it? This week and next, we're going to look at what sin does. Ultimately, you'll have basically two words for, for sin's power, what it does in our lives. The first we'll get today, the next we'll get next week. And I'll, I'll just tell you that next word is destruction. Some of you don't have to, to uh, look too far uh, in your family, in your friends, in our world to know that sin is a very destructive force. This morning, we're going to talk first about what, what is sort of the first thing sin does in our lives. I want you to look at Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. We pick up the story where Adam and Eve have just eaten the fruit of the tree that God said, don't eat the fruit of this tree. Pretty clear. They weren't supposed to do that. They rebel against God, take the law basically into their own hands and say, we don't believe what God said, or at least we really want to try this. And so they give in to that in the first six verses. And we pick it up in verse 7. It says this, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. So, so immediately there are consequences, results of their giving in to sin. In verse 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Then he asked the Lord, uh, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Then the man replied, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate. So the Lord God asked the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, It was the serpent. He deceived me, and I ate. Now, I hope to show you a couple of things today from this passage of Scripture uh, about what sin does. We'll look first in a minute at what sin doesn't do, and then what sin does, and, and really what's the what's the... the the remedy, what's the cure for that? And so 
I want you first uh, to turn over on the back of your bulletin there, at least pretend this morning like you're following along. The more you pay attention, the quicker I get done. How about that? Some of you now are perking up, ready to go. All right. I'd like for you, though, to, to look at the back of your bulletin. And, and very simply today, I just want to give you some truth from the Scripture. First of all, we're going to look at what sin does. We've got to look at what it doesn't do. There's always that opposite side. And, and very simply put, it's this. Sin doesn't deliver on its promises. Sin doesn't deliver on its promises. In order to understand what's going on with Adam and Eve in this particular passage that we just read, you have to understand the few verses before it, which we looked at last week. You remember, Satan shows up in the form of this serpent, at least a representative of of the forces of evil, whether it was Satan in flesh or not, is debatable. But certainly we know from Scripture that he is associated with his serpent. And he shows up in the garden and tempts Adam and Eve, tempts them to believe something different than what God had told them. God had said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or what? You will surely, well, help me here, die. Thank you. All right. You are awake. Very good. Okay. You will surely die. There will be consequences for your actions. He gave them a choice. You can be obedient and live, or you can be disobedient and die. Pretty clear choice. They chose to believe what the serpent said, which says in verse 4, no, you will not die. Instead, God knows what is going to happen. When you eat of this tree, your eyes are going to be open. In fact, you're going to be just like God. And God doesn't want that. God's jealous of his power. He's the one who's all the focus is to be on. And so he's holding out on you. Basically what the serpent tells them. You're missing out on something because God has not given you independence from him. You need to pursue your freedom and independence from God, the serpent says. When the woman saw in verse 6 that the tree was desirable, you know what? Yeah, that is kind of pleasing. She bought into the deception we saw last week. And she believed the lie that, you know what, if I do this, then yeah, I'll be equal with God. I'll be able to stand on my own a little bit and get out from under this hard, heavy hand of God. He's been holding me down. The promises of sin, though, didn't deliver. Because in verse 7, the eyes of them were both open. And they knew they were naked. You realize in, in the chapter before, the first and second chapters, actually, of Genesis, it says everything was perfect. There was no shame. There was no guilt. There, there was complete innocence. They were naked, it says, and knew no shame. And immediately, the lie of sin is revealed. They knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths. And so they tried to cover up their sin. We look last week at how ridiculous this actually is. Here they go standing in the garden with some loincloths and just pretending God doesn't know. And he walks through the garden and says, hey, what's going on here? And they just, you know, kind of, there they are. Maybe God won't know that we've messed up. We've covered all of ourselves, and here we go. We'll try to cover it up. Certainly that was not the case. Sin does not deliver on its promises. What they were promised was not what they received. They were promised equality with God. And some, some incredible experience, what they received was shame and guilt and separation from God. Now, many of you have probably over the years, been somewhat jaded by the political promises that various people have thrown your way. Maybe from very early on in life, the first election that I was able to vote in was in 1996. 
And I have done my best to vote in each one since then. And since 1996, there have been a lot of promises thrown around by people all over the political board. Republicans, Democrats, Independents, Green Party, wherever else you go, they throw them out all the time. They just they make promises. That's the way you campaign. You make promises to people. Some of you go, uh, obviously, back further, further back to 1996, and you remember certain campaign promises, slogans, whatever it may be. And, and the, the problem is, is that what happens in maybe the next two, four, or six years, depending upon how long they're elected for, those promises sometimes don't become reality. And what you're promised isn't what you get. Been there and done that? Some of you right now are saying, yeah, that's right. Some of you are saying, no, no, no. We know both sides of the aisle there. We know. You, you promised one thing, maybe delivered, maybe not. So we, we experience this in our own world where we're promised something, and then something else actually happens later on. Frustrating. Frustrating process. When someone says throughout history, we've experienced this, hey, here's what I'm going to do. If you elect me, guess what's going to happen? You know, we're going to have, what are we going to have? World peace. Everybody's going to get a raise. All this kind of crazy stuff that every politician promises. I love it. You know, it's just, it's great. They're going to be the, the next one that's going to save it all. Unfortunately, nine times out of ten, they can't do all that they're wanting to do, and reality sets in. We, we experience that. In, in a lighter note, those of you that will buy a bag of potato chips that's about this big, you know, really, now this, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second, but what you're promised is a bag of potato chips. What do they give you? They give you a few crumbs of potato chips. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. You're promised, well, I don't have any ounces. I don't have any ounces of potato chips. Yeah, but you can't. They, they need to make the bags transparent, you know? They wouldn't sell anything. You know, it's a good thing about buying a, you know, a, a soft drink or something. At least you can see how much is in there. But what you're promised isn't what they deliver. I mean, think about it, too. You go, you, you watch a, a television commercial for maybe fast food or a restaurant or something. Boy, that food looks good. Man, it's perfect. And the cheese is melted just right. The bun's on straight. The whole deal. And then you go somewhere. Now, if you work in fast food, of course, you know, hey, listen, you're doing the best you can. I understand. But you go somewhere. All right? Listen. We got some folks that work in. I know the people that, that go to Elm Grove that work in those places, you all do it right. But the other people that you're working with, all right, you tell them I said this. You go there sometimes, is it not true? And what's been promised isn't what's delivered. You open up and you think, are you kidding? That doesn't match the picture. Help me out here. I need, you know, and, and we just experience this all the time. What is promised is not what's delivered, be it in the political realm. Be it in potato chips or fast food or whatever it is. Sin is just the same way, only it's worse. Because what sin promises is never, never delivered. The reality of Genesis chapter 3 shows that Adam and Eve believed that they were to get something that God was holding out on them. What what instead they were delivered was pain and shame and guilt and, and feelings they had never experienced before. The whole Bible really points to this as a truth. The Bible sets up this idea of you can choose God's way or any other way, and that's the only two choices. You choose God's way or you choosing something else. And the result of that, the Bible makes very clear. Highlighted, for example, in Psalm chapter 1, maybe write down the reference. You'll see the verses on the screen. It says in Psalm chapter 1, illustrating this, How happy is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked? 
or take the path of sinners or join a group of mockers. Instead, here's the opposite. His delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is a tree. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Chaff uh, is sort of, uh, every once in a while, I'll be in my office, and uh, it'll be time to, to cut the field over here next to the church. And you see that stuff that's just blowing around after you get done cutting the field. For those of you that are not in farming, you tell them what I'm talking about. That's sort of the chaff. I married a, I married into a farming family, but I'm awful. So anyway, that's what I'm talking about. Just the stuff that blows away. Therefore, verse 5 says, the wicked will not survive the judgment. And sinners will not be in the community of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Now, here's the thing. What you are taught by our world, and specifically by the enemy, Satan, who has influence in the world, is that this is not true. That those who do only what's best for them, they're the ones that prosper. But here's the problem. That promise of prosperity and and you getting all that you want only lasts for a short period of time. Because it says, ultimately, those who will not give their lives to the Lord, ultimately, they'll be destroyed. Well, man, that's really encouraging. Boy, I came to church to be a little bit uplifted. I just want to tell you the truth this morning. That those who will live for the Lord, ultimately, will receive His blessing and eternal life forever. Not only that, but His presence here on earth. The opposite of that is true. But sin promises just the opposite, but it doesn't deliver. First John chapter 2 Another passage that points to this, verses 15 and 16, all the way through 17, say this, Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him, because everything that belongs to the world, now here's what you're sold. Here's what's promised. Lust of the flesh, get all you want. Lust of the eyes, do whatever you want. Pride in one's lifestyle, it's all about you. That stuff is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is what? Passing away. It's not going to last. But the one who does God's will remains forever. There is a temporary satisfaction and pleasure in sin. We looked at it last week. Sin is always pleasurable. It's always what we want. Because we're in charge and it brings pleasure for a time. The Bible makes it clear. But ultimately, though, that lasts for just a short period of time. And those who do God's will, those who do their best to live for Him on a daily basis, those are the ones that will endure. Those are the ones that last. The scripture highlights this principle, that what's promised by sin is not delivered. You remember the story of the prodigal son? You ever went to Sunday school? Maybe early in your life, you probably heard this story. Or maybe just out in the world somewhere, you've heard somebody talk about it. He's kind of like a prodigal son. Well, this guy had a brother and a father, and he took his share of the inheritance and left. He said, I want mine now. I want all that's coming to me right now. And he takes off. Young man, probably college age, something like that. And he goes out, and he's going to quote-unquote, sow his wild oats for a while. And it's not long into that that he sort of experiences that the sin that was promising such pleasure and fulfillment didn't really deliver. Why? Because he finds himself without money, without food, without any friends, wanting simply to eat something, and he's working for some pig farmer, and he says, you know what, I might as well just eat what these pigs are eating because I've got nothing anyway. He hits rock bottom. The Bible, the Bible says something very unique. He says, the Bible says, he came to his senses. 
He realized, you know what? What I was promised didn't happen. The, the, the sin that promised this great fulfillment in my life didn't happen. And he turns and he goes back to his father, who amazingly to him is running out to greet him. Throwing his arms around his son saying, welcome back. I'm sorry you had to go through that pain. Maybe you had to, to experience that. But let me tell you what. Welcome back. The, part of the story of the prodigal son obviously highlights what First John and Psalm chapter 1 do. That sin promises, but it doesn't deliver. Sin never delivers on its promises. What we hope to gain is not quite what we get. Satan certainly wants you to believe that sin satisfies. That God really doesn't mean what he says, that he can't really be trusted, that you are in control, that God's holding you back, that independence from God is really the key to happiness. We've got to understand and believe and live out that sin ultimately does not deliver on its promises. Sins of thought, sins of action, sins of speech, internal sins, external sins, whatever it may be. They promise fulfillment or control or pleasure, independence and freedom, but they don't ever deliver. Sin never delivers on its promises. Here's what sin does. That's what sin doesn't do. Let me give you what sin does. The first part of this that we'll see over the next couple of weeks, first of all, sin alienates you from God and others. Sin alienates every single time. To alienate means create distance, to make strangers of other people. Simply what it means. Sin does that. You go back to Genesis chapter 3, and you immediately see what's the first thing that happens. They saw their nakedness, and they covered themselves. Then what did they do? They went and they hid from God. Immediately, there's this alienation. There's this distance created between them and God and between them and others. They, um, <laughs> what's interesting is when God comes through, I love this, this. If you don't think the Bible's at all true, then, then I would go back, if you're a married person, go back and read this little interaction where it says here, um, what God said in verse 10, I heard you, and this is what Adam said, I heard you in the garden, I was afraid because of the naked, so I hid. Then he asked, God asked, who told you that you were naked? I love this. Did, did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And what does this guy do? Well, we talked about this before. He, he, the man replied, the woman you gave to be with me, not, not my wife, the woman, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. He just bailed out right there. He had a perfect opportunity to say, you know what, God? Listen, I'm responsible. Nah, it's her fault. So the Lord God asked the woman, what is this that you've done? Well, she said, it was a serpent. But me, are we not like that? Good grief. I mean, look at the distance that's created. Immediately, they're hiding from God. They're, they're fearful of him. I wonder what God's going to think. Let's hide. Let's cover our sin. Let's pretend like it didn't happen. And then when God does show up and starts to reveal, wait a minute, but listen, I already know what you've done. Start blaming each other. Distance between relationships, distance between people, alienation is created. You can see from very early on, this is what sin immediately does. Creates major distance between us and God. Creates distance between us and others. They're blaming one another. Pretending things didn't happen. Hiding from God. I, I, I believe, really, that all of the relationships, relationship problems that we have, whether between us and God or between us and others, have at their core somewhere sin. Now think about your relationships just right now. 
Some of you have a great marriage. Some of you have great family relationships. Some of you, you just never met a stranger. You're the friendliest person in the world. Everybody loves you. You win every popularity contest there is. I think. Somebody out there like that. Some of you, though, are normal. And every once in a while, you have a problem in your marriage. Every once in a while, you have a family issue. Every once in a while, somebody at your place of business or work sort of butts heads with you. You don't get along. You don't agree. Every once in a while, your relationships go a little haywire. I can guarantee you this, that if you were to trace it back, what went wrong, you'll find somewhere where somebody sinned. Whether they were selfish, proud, rude, impatient, somewhere along, you'll find that. Now, think about just your marriage, the, the, the discussion, rather, not argument, the discussion you have on the way to church. Some of you had that discussion on the way to church. You sort of, you know, hey, let's get ready to go to church, but oh, we sprung forward, now we're running behind. You know how that goes. Listen, I, 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 have, you know, I have a family. And so that discussion somewhere started with somebody's impatience, somebody's rudeness. All of our relationship problems can be traced back at some point to sin, either ours or someone else's. Sin always creates that distance, always alienates. And it alienates not just us and other people, but us and God, because God will not associate with sin. He won't. He is a holy and perfect God. And he says, sin will not be in my presence. So it creates distance. And you say, well, okay. What, what, what now? The second part of what you see there on the screen is sort of the, the solution to this. It's only grace and repentance that restore your relationships. Only grace and repentance restore your relationships. It's not pretending things didn't happen. It's not having an argument and then saying, well... We'll just choose to disagree. We'll just get along and act like nothing happened. No, it's only grace and repentance. The key to right relationships with others, I really believe, is extending grace and repenting when it's needed. There are several verses. I just want you to write down the references if, if you can. Somewhere on your bulletin. Several verses I just want you to, to note. Go back and look at later. You want to understand how to have right relationships? Go to some of these verses. James chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. Maybe you're familiar with it. Be slow to speak. Quick to listen and slow to become angry. Hmm. No, if we operated by that principle, man, we'd have some good marriages. We'd have some really good family relationships. We probably wouldn't say nearly as much as we say. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. All talk about not seeking your own, but looking out for someone else key to right relationships. Then Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 to 17, echo that. Colossians 2, 12 to 17, shows us in these verses that the key to right relationships is to receive God's grace and to extend God's grace to other people and to live a repentant life. You think about it. Those strains in your relationship right now between you and your spouse, you and a child, you and a parent, you and a friend, you and your boss, you and your co-workers, whomever it may be. If somebody if somebody were to say, you know what, I'm going to extend the grace of forgiveness. They may not have asked for it. They may not deserve it. They may never turn to me and say, I'm sorry, but I will extend the grace of forgiveness. The relationship can be restored. If you are the person who's at fault and you would simply learn two words, I'm sorry. I know for some of you that's really hard to say. You can I'm 
I'm, you can't really get it out. I understand how it goes. If you would learn those words, I'm sorry, to live a repentant life toward other people. You know what? I'm not sure exactly who all is at fault, but listen, I'm sorry. I forgive. Let's move forward. Relationships would have a better chance of being restored. Only grace and repentance restore those relationships. And the key also to relationship with God is receiving His grace and living our lives in repentance before Him. This pattern is also shown in Scripture. I want you to see a couple of verses. Second Chronicles chapter 7 puts it this way, verses 13 and 14, you'll see on the screen. If I close the sky, God is talking. So there is no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Now, this is simply talking about that God is waiting to bless. He is waiting to forgive. His grace is always there. We need to receive it, and what does it say? Turn from our evil ways, turn from our sin, repent, and go toward him. Psalm chapter 51, I won't read all the verses to this one, maybe just write down the reference, but David is, is writing this psalm. David, right after his sin as the king of Israel with Bathsheba, maybe you've heard that story before, and he's confronted and it becomes apparent to everybody he's messed up, he has sinned before God. And he writes this incredible psalm when he just says, Lord, I confess my sin to you. I, I, my sin is always before me, God, the, the Scripture says. It's always right in front of me. God, it's there. I know it's there. And he says, would you create in me a clean heart? Would you change me? Would you exchange my sin for righteousness? The Bible makes it clear that's exactly what happens. And he gets to the end of that chapter, and he says, Lord, I know you won't turn away somebody who's broken and repentant before you. That's the key to a right relationship with God, receiving his grace and living a repentant life. Acts chapter 3 in the New Testament, verse 19, says that we should turn from our sin so that it can be wiped away, so that times of refreshing can come from God's presence. His grace is always there, wanting to refresh you, wanting to wash away all the uncleanness in your life. And it says simply, repent. Receive His grace and repent. We know, of course, that the New Testament highlights the ultimate picture of grace, and that is the cross that Jesus died on. The ultimate picture of grace that demonstrated God's love for sinners, calling us to repentance and closeness with Him. And unlike sin, the cross always delivers. The cross always delivers salvation, forgiveness, freedom, restoration, peace, purpose, cleansing, hope. The cross always delivers, always delivers those things. The principle is that sin doesn't deliver. It only alienates you from God, you from others. And then only grace and repentance make those relationships right. And so here's what I want you to remember. Remember this week that principle. Sin doesn't deliver. It only alienates. And so this week, any time that you find yourself tempted with an internal, external sin, maybe it's an attitude, maybe it's a, something you want to say, Maybe it's a thought that you have. Maybe it's an action, a habit that you're into. I don't know what it may be. But I want you to remember this principle from Genesis 3. Sin never delivers. It only alienates every single time. It only alienates you from God, you from others. And at the same time, remember, not only does sin not deliver, it only alienates, but only grace and repentance restore relationships. Only those things 
not trying to cover things up, not trying to pretend it didn't happen, not hiding from God or, or, or avoiding someone else. No, none of that. Only grace and repentance. And so the question is, to whom do you need to extend grace, forgiveness? Like, you may have to come to church this morning with somebody that you need to extend some grace to. Somebody you need to forgive. There may be a long-standing feud between you and somebody else here. Maybe you just say, you know what, I need to extend grace today. I need to forgive. Because all it's doing, me holding that bitterness, that sinful attitude in, is just alienating me from God. It's just alienating me from other people. It's not worth carrying around. It's destroying me. So in what ways would your relationships benefit? If you repented, maybe even, of a particular attitude, of a, of a particular way of talking to someone or treating them, or maybe a habit, what ways would your relationships be better? If you extended grace and forgiveness, or if leaving here you said, you know what, I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn from that. Maybe your marriage would benefit. Husbands, maybe your marriage would benefit from the way you would repent of talking to your wife in a certain way. Maybe if you repented of not showing her love and, and, and really doing all you can to love her in both your words and your actions, and you repent of that. The Bible says if husbands won't love their wives, it's, it's a sin. Bottom line, husbands, maybe you'd repent today. And you just tell your wife, you know what, look, I know I, listen, I've blown it. And it's been a pattern for maybe for years, but let me tell you what. I, by God's grace, I, I want to turn from that. And I'm sorry. Wives, maybe today you look at your husband and say, you know what, I, I've respected you. I, I've talked about you. I've said things about you. I've talked behind your back. I, I have said things to you that, that are just not right. I've treated you in disrespectful ways. The Bible says wives are to respect their husbands. Love them in that way. How would your relationship be different, husbands, if you repented of those attitudes and, and words and thoughts and wives the same way? Or maybe it's between a parent and a child today. And young people, maybe you'd say, you know what? I, I'm going to repent of my rebellion toward my parents and just doing against what they say just because they said it. And I'm going to live with humility. And parents, you'd say, I'm going to extend grace to my children and forgive them. Or parents, maybe you'd go to your children and say some of those powerful words you can ever say to a child, I'm sorry, I messed up, it's my fault. Parents, don't underestimate the power of those words with your children. What grace do you need to extend? What repentance do you need to partake in? Maybe it's between church members, maybe it's friends, maybe it's at your place of business. Ultimately, the Bible makes it clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll close with these couple of verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul writes this, Now everything is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, and this is one of the most powerful truths you'll ever read not holding their trespasses or their sins against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. 
be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. God says, I've extended my grace. God says, you have sinned. You were the one who caused the problem, but guess what? I'm going to fix it. I'm going to send Jesus, a sinless and perfect sacrifice, God in human flesh, to die a death he didn't deserve, to wipe away that crimson stain. And Paul says, look, I plead with you, be reconciled to God. Come close to God. Draw near to him. He offers grace. I plead with you this morning. Whether it's a big external sin or maybe a small internal sin, it's still sin. Turn to God. Be reconciled to Him. Lay those things down at His feet. Psalm chapter 139. David writes, Search me. Try me. Know my inwardmost thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me whatsoever. God, look on the inside of me. I don't want any sin to alienate me from you, David says. And you'd make that your prayer today. Lord, search me. God, reveal to me anything in my life, any attitude, any thought, any, any pattern of action, anything at all, God, that's sinful. Or you tell me what it is. I may not even know, but then you tell me. And Lord, as a result, I receive your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. And Lord, I, I repent. I turn to you. I want to be close with you, not alienated. And so this week, Here's the challenge. I want you to to receive the challenge to live a life of grace and repentance. Extending grace and living a life of repentance. Receiving and dispensing at every chance you get. Actively repenting of sin each time God reveals it. For some of you, you say, you know what, you talk about sin this morning. I'm not really thinking of anything in particular. David was called a man after God's own heart, yet he said, Lord, search me. God, any little thing, no matter what it is, God, you reveal it. Sin alienates you from God and from others, and it's only grace and repentance that will restore your relationships. So be reconciled to God today. Be made right with him. The only way to do that, the Bible says, is to come to the cross. Maybe some of you, for the very first time, need to come to the cross today. To say, Jesus, I know that you are the only way for salvation. I can't earn what you did. I can't pay you back. It says, Jesus paid it all. And all to him I know. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it by the snow. Where I come to the cross today. And I want your salvation. I want your forgiveness. I want eternal life with you. I want closeness with you, your presence, your peace, your power in my life. Maybe for the first time you'd pray and ask the Lord to come into your life. And say, God, I don't understand all that it means, but listen, I want what he's talking about. Or maybe today, just for the hundredth time, a thousandth time, a millionth time, you'd come back to the cross and you'd just say, you know what, Lord, I receive your grace and I repent. I want to be reconciled and close with you. And, Lord, I want to be close with those around me. So, God, I'm going to extend grace and forgiveness. And I'll repent in those relationships. Don't leave here today without making that decision for the Lord. Without committing to a life of repentance and grace. Would you bow your heads with me and we'll pray.
we close this morning, you may need to spend a moment or two in prayer. Be that there at your seats, or maybe you'd like to, to pray down front here and just get alone with God, sort of away from the crowd. Maybe your prayer needs to be, as I just mentioned, Lord, I don't know that I've ever really received your salvation by placing my faith in Jesus Christ alone. Maybe I've been trying to earn it or just trying to be a good person or whatever and got it today. Listen, I, I know I need you. And I don't know all that's going to happen and what all that means, but God, I know it's true. And I believe that you came to die for my sins. That you were raised again, and I place my faith in you. Lord, I want salvation and forgiveness. Maybe that's your prayer. The Bible says if you'll simply come to Jesus in faith, recognizing he is the Son of God, that he died for your sins and was raised again, the Bible says you will be saved. God's presence will fill your life, and you'll be made forever different. Made brand new, the Bible says. Maybe that's your decision today. Maybe in these closing moments, you just simply pray, God, you know what? I repent of that sin that you've made me aware of. I receive your grace and forgiveness. Or maybe you'd go to someone, be it before we leave our time today or this afternoon or this week, and you just say, you know what, look, I need to tell you, I repent of that attitude. You're my wife, you're my husband, you're my good friend, you're my mom, my dad, my sister, my brother, my child, my co-worker, whomever you are. Listen, I, I, I repent. I want things to be made right. Live a life of grace and repentance this week. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Lord, we know if you removed it for one moment, we'd have no chance. So we thank you for the ultimate picture of grace in Jesus Christ on the cross. We pray for those, Lord, who may be battling with that decision today. We pray you give them confidence and boldness. Not worry about what everybody else thinks or what will happen later on, but today to trust you in faith, receiving your salvation. Lord, help us to be people of grace and repentance. Help us, Lord, to view sin for what it is, never coming through on its promises, but only alienating, only causing destruction. Help us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name.